Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, June 13th, 2022, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, today we are continuing our study on the book of Genesis, and we will be looking specifically at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. And we are going to be looking at the consequence of sin and how the creation goes from paradise to ruin. You see, sin always results in brokenness, destruction, and devastating consequences. Satan may have convinced Adam and Eve that disobeying God would not result in immediate physical death. However, spiritual death and decay was instant. And we begin to see in Genesis chapter 4 how the grave ways that sin has infiltrated the world and perverted the paradise the Lord had created. We see that sin brings ultimate death and ruin. In Genesis 4, the first murder is recorded, and we see how that besetting sin begets more sin and how wickedness grows and multiplies. Yet through everything we see in Genesis chapter 4, we also see the amazing grace of God. We see his mercy, and we see his abundantly tender plan to redeem the world. You see, we live in a day where sin is celebrated and honored. Today, the murder of babies is defended and seen as a right. Our land is decaying, and the paradise the Lord created is bearing the mark of sin's ruin. As we read this passage, it will be much easier to place ourselves in the shoes of Abel while completely condemning Cain. However, we must see and understand that below the surface of our lives is the same sin and rebellion which brought about Cain's failures. Jude verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. We cannot disconnect Genesis 4 from our lives thinking it's extreme. Our tendency is to ignore our own sin and instead live doing what we want to do, believing that we can overcome sin. We also have the tendency to see other sin more clearly than our own. But as we see in Jude, we have walked in the way of Cain. We have sinned. We have fallen short of God's glory. And we have murder beating in our hearts because of sin that has so overtaken us. I hope we will see from Genesis chapter four that sin is crouching at the door and that its desire is for us. And I hope we see this so that ultimately we may run to the sweet grace and protection of Jesus. As the world goes from paradise to ruin, our mission is to preach the gospel to those who are perishing. It's with that background that we look at Genesis chapter four. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man from the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will, will, not, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusiel, and Methusiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the other was Zilha. Ada bore Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all the instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech says to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, today, we are all still prone to the same murder as Cain. Instead of physical means, we may civilize the act by using violent words against our brothers and sisters, gossiping and spreading rumors. We murder when we give others the silent treatment or avoid them altogether. Jesus even taught the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 21 through 24, about the judgment of the murder of our heart. He said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Our sin and murder of the heart may be subtle, but it's equally as damaging to our soul and our lives and to the reputation of others. And we look at this passage in Genesis 4, I want us to see three ways that we can keep from being controlled by sin and rebellion. First, we must examine our hearts. We see in verse 2 that Abel was a shepherd and that Cain was in agriculture. As brothers, they would have worked together in unity. They could, have, they could have been helping one another. Through our mission of unadopted, we had different uh, twins in Togo who worked together. 
Godwin was in charge of a chicken coop and Winter was in charge of the wheat and the corn. And these two former orphans worked together, Godwin using his compost waste to help Winter with his crops and Winter allowing his crops to feed Godwin's chickens. They flourished. They flourished so much that now Godwin and Winter are teaching other orphans from their orphanage in Togo how to have life skills, how to have job skills. They're doing the work of our unadopted program. Two brothers dwelling in unity, working together in unity. But that's not the picture we have here in Genesis 4. Instead of that unity, we see discord, jealousy, rivalry, and hatred. The result of a life surrendered to sin and its effects. In verse 3, we're told that Cain brings an offering to the Lord in the course of time. In other words, Cain had been living off the land and selling his crops and using his crops. And then he brings the Lord an offering, almost out of duty. He was bringing the leftovers. But in verse 4, we see that Abel brings the firstborn of his flocks as an offering to the Lord. Abel was bringing the very best. Abel was bringing his offering out of worship while Cain was bringing his offering out of duty. And as we examine our hearts, are we worshiping God and serving him out of the overflow of joy because of his abundant goodness? Or are we serving him and worshiping him out of duty or necessity or in order just to get his blessing? In verse 5, Cain is angry. The, the scripture actually says that his face fell. He shows his anger. Beloved, we too get angry when we don't get what we think we deserve. When we have a deep unmet want that is not for God, but for his blessings, when we don't get that want, we end up angry and disappointed. Cain wanted the blessing of God, but Abel wanted a restored relationship with God. The truth is God's grace is that he gives us mercy, which we do not deserve. So as we examine our hearts, what are our motives? Are we seeking an abiding, restored relationship with God? Or are we looking to live a peaceful, carefully life full of provision that comes from a loving and gracious God, yet without the relationship? The book of Hebrews in the hall of faith starts in chapter 11 and, and verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel is the very first person in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He believed the promises of God given in Genesis 3, that God would restore the world to himself. Cain simply wanted to get something in return for his offering, but Abel was making a sacrifice out of a heart of gratitude. Beloved, the heart and the attitude of the heart matter to God. We must examine our heart. How do we respond when things don't go well or things don't go our way? Do we blame God or grow resentful? Or do we trust him fully, wanting nothing more than him? Cain is self-righteous, and we are too. We must be warned that evil is lurking in the places we refuse to let go of. Sin is lurking in the places where our self-righteous pride and sin reign in our lives. We must examine our hearts. But the second way that we can keep from being controlled by sin and rebellion is to listen to God's gracious warning. God is the wonderful counselor. He is giving time for Cain to repent. God pursues Cain. Verses six through seven, 
listen to the words of God. God actually comes and he says this. He says, why are you so angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, God is giving him a way of acceptability before himself. But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. God is pursuing Cain in the same way God gently pursues each of us to catch us and convict us of our sin so that we will confess and turn back to him. God was giving Cain that opportunity to confess and to turn to him. God wants confession, not condemnation. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you not presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Hosea chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. Therefore, I have honed them by the prophets. I've slain them by the words of my mouth. My judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and that sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Beloved, we must listen to God's warning and ask ourselves, where is God trying to intervene in our lives? Do we see God's conviction as kindness and grace? And are we listening or are we following our own way? God in his sovereign foreknowledge, he knew what Cain would do. He knew that Cain would murder his brother, but he is still showing patience and grace to Cain in order to draw him in and to redeem him. In verse 7, this is the first time the word sin is used in the Bible, and it's seen as wild and dangerous, crouching like a lion, waiting on its prey. Peter uses the same words in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-9. through he, he reminds us, humble ourselves, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, in the due time, he may exalt you. Cast all your anxiety on him, on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Notice that the temptation of sin in Genesis chapter 4 is not the serpent of Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, Eve was talked into sinning by the serpent. But for Cain, the temptation has seeped into his heart. The temptation is from within. While Eve was talked into sin by Satan, Cain can't be talked out of sin by God. And don't miss it either, that Cain was sinning amidst his attempt to worship God. He thought he was worshiping God with an offering, but sin had blinded him to his self-righteous pride and his selfish desire. Sin works in such a way that we underestimate it. We use nice words to describe our sin. We call it little white lies or fleeting thoughts or apathy or lust or laziness. We must know and we must realize that sin is poisonous and it will kill us. Beloved, we must listen to the Lord's warnings. We must read God's word, seek him in prayer, and listen to the prodding of the Holy Spirit. Because besetting sin can destroy our lives and our witness. Beloved, listen to the warnings of the Holy Spirit because we can never believe that we're beyond the grasp of sin. The third way and the final way that we see from this passage 
that we can keep from being controlled by sin and rebellion is to trust in God's provision and grace. In verse 8, Cain gives in to sin's control and he murders his brother. And in verse 9, Cain lies to God and in a sense tells the Lord to leave him alone and stop bothering him. Verse 9, the Lord says to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain thinks he can hide his heart, his sin, and his hands from God. But God sees all things, even the deepest secret places of our lives. Then in verses 13 through 14, after receiving the punishment of the Lord, we see that instead of repenting and turning to the Lord with humility, that Cain only looks out for himself and has absolutely no remorse for sin. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Notice he's not, he's not asking for forgiveness for the murder of his brother. He's not asking for forgiveness out of anger because his offering was not accepted. No, he is worried about covering his head. Verse 14, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be as a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Even in the consequences of sin. God is using the punishment to draw us back to his loving grace. God could have, with great justice, instantly taken the life of Cain. But instead, we see that God continues to give grace. And then verse 15, the Lord says, Oh, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Lord put this mark on Cain and said, Lest any who find him attack him. Oh, instead of giving Cain what he deserves, God gives grace. God's tenderness is giving Cain more time to repent and turn towards God's grace. He continually spares Cain's life and protects him. But we see then in verse 16 that Cain leaves the presence of God behind. He settles in the land of Nod, which in Hebrew means wandering. <laughs> Beloved, in the same way, when we leave God's presence, it always leads to wandering. Cain didn't rely on God, nor did he rest in the presence of God. Beloved, God is offering his patience and his kindness. And he graciously offers his son, who was murdered at the cross by our sin, as our only true redemption. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24 but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Beloved, Jesus bears the curse that we deserve. He becomes the curse so that we can live. Jesus came because we are all like Cain and we, and he came to redeem us from our selfish and self-righteous pride. And even here in Genesis four, we see the gracious provision of God to all of us Cain's, not just to the Cain here listed, but to all of us. You see the family line of Cain continues and results in even greater wickedness. Sin always begets more and greater sin. We see in verse 17 that, that Cain knew his wife and she conceived and she bore Enoch. But then he built a city and he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Cainic builds a city and names it after his son, showing the idolatry of self and the transgression of God's law. 
But then we learn that Cain's great, great, great grandson, Lamech, has two wives, verse 19. Two wives that, that he has. This is the beginning of polygamy and the trampling of God's beautiful union between one man and one woman. The first sexual sin right here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. Polygamy, trampling on God's way. Sin always begets more sin. But then Lamech, this grandson of Cain, continues even in the heritage of murder passed on by his grandfather. However, we see in verse 23, where Cain had sought protection from God because of his sin, Lamech just exults in his sin. Lamech says to his wives, verse 23, Ada and Zilhah, heal my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. There's no remorse. There's no fear. Actually, Lamech continues to boast. But even in his boasting, beloved, God is still providing and showing his grace. In Lamech's boasting, he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. What Lamech meant as pride, what Lamech meant as exalting himself, God uses in his grace. You see, Lamech is boasting not only on his conquest of murder, but on the value which Lamech has ascribed to his own glory. However, in his arrogance and pride, Lamech doesn't realize that thousands of years later, God would come to bring grace and forgiveness. What? 77 fold. Beloved, in his pride, Lamech said, oh, 77 fold. That's what I'm worth. And in Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Oh, but Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 fold. God will forgive even the vilest of sinners, even Lamech's. You can't outrun the grace and the mercy of God. And in his sovereignty, God uses our sin and the vile things we speak to be keys to our redemption. The gospel is all through this passage. In verse 25, God also provides for the forgiveness of the generations of Cain's with a substitute. Seth is born. It says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. Seth actually means God has appointed. God had appointed a substitute. And what would Seth be? Well, we know of the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 that goes from Abraham to David to Jesus. But then Luke, the physician, also records a similar genealogy in Luke chapter 3. In verse 23, it says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. And then it goes on to that genealogy from Joseph. And then verse 38, it says, basically, as all these people, and then there's the son of Enosh. And what does it say? The son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. God's grace and mercy is abundant for sinners, and his presence is wooing us constantly back. God provides Seth, who would be in the line of Christ, in order that Cain's like us would have an opportunity to receive ultimate salvation. Then, verse 26, at that time, people begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Beloved, the consequences of sin are real. Sin takes God's paradise and turns it into ruin. 
Oh, but the grace of God is greater than all of our sin. Not only does God abundantly forgive us, but he then uses us on his mission to make his grace known to all. May the gospel we see in Genesis 4 propel us to manifest this glorious gospel to the orphan, the widow, the pregnant mom, the broken family, and the vulnerable child. Not because we are above them, but because this is who we are. And yet Jesus manifested his grace to our wayward soul. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Praying for the country of Colombia and specifically the church would be strengthened, that the gospel would go forth and for families and children that are waiting through the adoption process, as well as our unadopted program there in Colombia. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that the church would be strengthened in Colombia and that the true gospel truly was spread in Colombia. We pray for the church that it would become more aware of the orphan crisis and that the progress of discipleship within the local churches would spill out and affect those vulnerable and orphaned children in Colombia. We ask for Renaissance Baptiste, Iglesia Renaissance Baptiste, and others as they attend the Pastors National Conference this month. Also, Lord, we just ask that you would bring redemption and truth to those living in Colombia through this local church. We know that, that the country is working hard to progress and come back from the past history of drugs and prostitution and sexual promiscuity and corruption and violence. Lord, would you allow the truth and peace of the gospel to invade those who call Columbia home? We pray for the nine host families preparing to welcome and care for 19 children this summer. Lord, would you provide opportunities for the children to hear the gospel while they are here? And we have so many families that are in the process of pursuing older children, children with medical needs and larger sibling groups. Oh, Father, guide them and give them endurance. And for all of those families who are home and walking through the challenges of parenting children who have faced trauma, Father, would you surround them with your love and your grace? And Lord, would you bring more missional-minded families that will be flexible and understanding with the process and the complex needs of Columbia? Father, as well, we pray for those 19 children that will be hosted this summer. We pray that the two weeks that they are here will be intentional and that you would provide gospel-minded families to pursue, not only to host them and care for them, but to pursue adoption of them. Would you prepare the children being pursued by families now that their hearts would be prepared and at peace with the upcoming transitions? And would you grant us the opportunity to advocate for more waiting children and have more opportunities to advocate for better policies to benefit children in the long run? And for our unadopted team and the unadopted efforts in Colombia, specifically, we ask, Lord, that you would surround David Rayunu as he continues conversations with local pastors, showing them how their congregations can get involved. We also ask that you be with current and future foster parents, Christian foster parents, to step up and to fill the gap by providing gospel-centered homes there in Columbia to vulnerable and orphan children. And we pray for wisdom for our unadopted team and for the Latin American team as they work together to plan for the future. We pray for our in-country team of Soraya, Julie, and others for wisdom as they lead and they work on challenging cases, as they build relationships with the government, and as they balance a big caseload. We pray for our in-country team as it's growing and expanding, that it would grow not just in numbers, but in depth as well. 
And Lord, we praise you for our relationship and our recent reaccreditation through ICBF there in Columbia. We thank you for that relationship and pray that we would be faithful in speaking the gospel and of our hope. Pray for the homes that we work with, like Fauna. We ask that you would surround them and meet their needs, that you'd be with the directors and you'd be with the workers. We pray for our team here in the States, for, for Meredith and for Farah, for Jordan, for Allie, for Beth, for Oscar, for David. Lord, would you give them great wisdom as they work to make your gospel known, to manifest your gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.